Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and more importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by conservative and my fellow interim co-host of Beyond the Beltway, Jeannie Ives, and Chicago Alderman Ray Lopez. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base, AM560, The Answer, WIND Radio, in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 if you want to be a part of the program with us this evening. Thank you to everybody for listening. A whole lot to talk about tonight. And I want to start uh, in Washington with news uh, just fairly recently out of Washington. This on Friday that the uh, House Select Committee that is investigating January 6th is expected to announce it will refer at least three criminal charges against former President Donald Trump to the Department of Justice, including insurrection, obstruction of an official proceeding, and conspiracy to defraud the federal government. So we don't know exactly when this vote is going to come. And it should be noted that uh, the Department of Justice has the final say on all of this. This committee can refer all at once. It is ultimately entirely up to the Department of Justice whether or not it is going to actually bring charges against the former president, who we should note is now currently, again, a candidate for president of the United States. Jeannie, let's start with you. Uh, yes. Does this matter at all? Uh, if the Department of Justice has the final say at the end of the day, is this just the January 6th committee getting their last gasp out of their system before the Republicans take over the House? The committee is dissolved and we move on uh, almost assuredly to uh, a same level investigation of Hunter Biden and his laptop from the Republicans. Well, I think I mean, honestly, don't you think that this was the committee's end goal? was to actually find some sort of criminal charge to pin on Donald Trump. I think had they were, were they not to refer some, some sort of criminal charges against him, again, it'd be just one of those things that goes uh, that, that nobody thinks about again. But I think that this is it was entirely what they wanted to do from the from the beginning. I think it's a very significant step to take to charge a president with insurrection, especially when the term insurrection is so loosely thrown around and not well defined. There's not a lot of court case uh, around that that term insurrection. And so what what is their aim there? They have a political aim here. And I have no doubt that Merrick Garland and in, in, in his in his people will maybe even say, why not? Why not prosecute him for this? I think that this is uh, it, it's a terrible decision by the committee to go down this road, and um, it just basically keeps tries to keep Trump in abeyance for a 2024 run, even as he has already said he's going to. Well, let me ask, why is it a terrible decision for them to do this? I mean, if let's let's presume for a moment that everybody is acting on the up and up and this committee actually believes looking at the evidence that they have collected that Donald Trump has done things. I mean, I, I think you can you know, I, I agree with you on the point about insurrection, but I think there are certain things, obstruction of official proceeding, things that are certainly colorable arguments that could be made um, is, is just the idea that it would never be appropriate for a congressional committee to refer to the Department of Justice charges against a former president of the United States. I think it's I think it's more uh, a matter of, you know, and again, you know, you would have to look at all the evidence. But honestly, 
I think that this has already gone too far. We know how persecuted really Donald Trump's entire presidency has been from the get-go, from the fake Russian collusion to two years of a Mueller investigation that yielded nothing. This is one more stab at him as a president. And um, I, I don't think that I mean, I think they're even having a hard time with some of the J6. You know, they've convicted quite a few people, but very few of them, if any of them, in fact, maybe just recently one or two of them got the insurrection charge to stick. I have not kept up with all of that. Um, but I mean, this is going down this road with him with such flimsy evidence, I think is a problem. And I, I think it just makes everything more politicized in our environment that's already too politicized. So we can't get to solving real problems for Americans. Ray Lopez, do you think this is a wise move by the Democrats who are in charge of this January 6th committee to refer charges against uh, President, former President Trump to the Department of Justice? You know, my concern, and good evening, everyone, has always been when it came to the January 6th committee that everything that they do would be viewed through the lens of the perceptions of politics and that the target was to tarnish uh, a future candidate and not really resolve any of the issues that they could resolve. You know, we have seen some legislation come out like the Electoral Count Act moving forward, <laughs> things that could have been productive and justified 75% of their term being spent in this committee doing something, anything to improve elections in the United States. But that's not what we're seeing. And I think that with so much effort being put and so much onus put on targeting Donald Trump and, and members of his cabinet and whatnot for political purposes undermines the Democrats' credibility on this matter and I think sets them up for what they can expect when the Republicans take over as to how they can just have endless investigations that don't necessarily need to ruin, to yield any progress, but can be used for political machinations. As we know, Biden will be up by the time that the next term is over and they could see the same thing happen to them in short order. Ray, do you think there was a way that this January 6th committee could have been done, could have been constructed and operated in a way that didn't invite the the view from a, a majority of people or at least a plurality of people that this was just purely a political thing without really any you know true desire to find out the truth of what happened? I don't know if there necessarily is an easy way to say that they could have taken the politics out of this. It is Washington, D.C., after all, and everything they do is about politics. But I know that making their comments on the side, it always undermined their case when they were in the hearing room. And if you want to act like and show that you are being the bigger person, the adults in the room trying to save our democracy and restore faith in the electoral process, then you should have kept your com they should have kept their comments to that. There's a time and a place to deal with Donald Trump as a party. You deal with that in November 2024, but trying to make it an issue every single day for 16 months just was fatigue for the average voter and only incends the half of the half of the electorate in this country that still believes that Donald Trump is their president still, even after Biden beat him. Jeannie, quickly, okay. in like the less yeah. than a minute we've got, is it possible this could have been done better and less partisanly? Well, from the get-go, I mean, remember they refused to actually seat the um, McCarthy's pick for the committee, 
I mean, that, that, that right there told you it was a political adventure rather than a serious uh, committee that wanted to understand where was the breakdown in security, what actually happened. They've refused to investigate any of the Capitol Police actions at that day. You've had the, they've refused to call in the FBI to actually come clean on whether or not they had operatives on site there. But from the beginning, it was a political stunt because they refused to seat uh, two of the House Republicans, uh, and and that that just made it a joke of the committee going forward. So more that we'll talk about on this on the other side of the break, including the implications this has for the 2024 Republican presidential primary, which is already underway because it's not even 2023, but we can't have nice things. So we have to be talking about this now. More on that when we're back after the break on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. If you talk to me, we'll hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. 
Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohen filling in for Bruce Dumont this week. And we were talking about the potential charges that the Department of Justice might bring against former President Donald Trump. Uh, that would be one problem he would have. The Wall Street Journal earlier this week pointed out another potential problem that he is dealing with is he is running for a second term in 2024. Uh, a new poll out showing a hypothetical two-way contest between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump shows DeSantis with a 52-38 lead. Um, there was a interesting piece from Josh Crashower that pointed out earlier this week that uh, a more interesting number because you have uh, a lot of volatility in these polls. You'll see one-on-one polls with Trump and DeSantis that swing wild in both directions. Uh, you see ones that include 19 potential other candidates in the race. Uh, there was even one, I believe, from The Atlantic that included uh, Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. both running at the same time, which is something that I think is probably doubtful. Uh, but the point that Crashauer made is Trump has fallen below 70 cent, uh, 70% approval amongst Republicans, which is the first time since he rose above that number that he has fallen below it. So we'll tie it back at first before we get to the DeSantis stuff to Jeannie. Um, is this just mm -hmm. something that's going to go away in the same way that Trump took a hit after January 6th, but uh, not too long after regained support amongst most Republicans? Um, this has been uh, a decline that has been going on slowly. So it's less the big existential event like January 6th was and just kind of, you know, entropy eating away at this over time. Um, is this a blip and something that Trump will recover from? Or is he really in a fight here and possibly on the decline in terms of the support he gets from Republicans? I think he's definitely on the decline in terms of support from Republicans, because I, I talk to Republicans all the time and a lot of folks are just, you know what, um, we don't want to have to deal with uh, explaining Trump uh, anymore. We want to move on and be able to explain policies instead. We want somebody who believes like Trump does in, in terms of their policy agenda, but is not such a... Um, a target by by just everybody uh and, and somebody that you have to explain and the latest one really honestly being kanye or yay or and then nick point is coming in i mean people just look at that like why why would you, why did you do that that was an unforced error so to speak so i think plenty of republicans would forgive him for the j6 stuff honestly i don't even think that that's necessarily an issue among us because we didn't see it we saw for what it was which was a challenge to the election processes that we saw skewed during COVID. And in many cases, uh, seriously unconstitutional in that they changed state election law outside of state legislatures. So, and, and that fight needs to still play out in courts. And I think that there is a court case that, that the, the Supremes are gonna be de deciding on that feel, uh, fuel that. But honestly, most Republicans, I, lots of, at least the ones I talk to, do want to move on from Trump, but they want Trump's policies and they want a fighter. 
Yeah, the, well, the fighter question is the interesting part, right? So the uh, Ron DeSantis is certainly playing that role in in Florida, and he is picking fights on policy basis. You know, you you yeah. the interesting thing though is he wins these. Um, and tell me either of you if you disagree with this. He wins these short term battles, right? So he picks a fight with big tech. They pass this legislation in Florida. That legislation is uh, enjoined by the courts. Um, they pass the Stop Woke Act. Um, he wins a media cycle over that. That is enjoined by the courts. He uses Florida taxpayer dollars to take uh, illegal immigrants from Texas, fly them through Florida and up to Martha's Vineyard. Um, and he's currently being sued over that. But he wins a uh, he wins a media cycle over it um, is I mean, is this the model, Jeannie, to you? And, and then I'll go to Ray uh, to you on this as well. Is this the model of, uh, of somebody who's going to fill that role, the desire for somebody to be Trumpish, but not be Donald Trump and not bring the baggage that Donald Trump is going to bring into a, another general election campaign? Well, I, I don't think it's any different than what the Democrats do. Look at Joe Biden's numerous policies that are being challenged by the court. His most recent one, of course, is student loan bailouts, which were completely ridiculous, that he thought he could just write off, a, you know, a trillion dollars worth of debt uh, on the backs of the taxpayer without the legislator weighing in. So I think everybody sort of tries his stuff and then things yeah, but, end but, up but, in court. But, but, but let me ask you this. Is it is that good, though? Right. So like, if you were looking at the other side and saying they're doing things that are blatantly unconstitutional, yeah. is your reaction? Should it be if you're Ron DeSantis? OK, fine. I'm going to do things that are blatantly unconstitutional just for the purpose of media attention, just for the purpose of ginning up my base. Well, no, but I but a lot of times you don't know how that's going to go in court either. And so things have to be settled out in court rather than having like, how about just good policy discussions about what helps everybody? Regardless of party, that's where I'd like to go with all of this. Do you think that it really uh, helps, um, for example, that we bail out student loans? Is that is that helpful to anybody that we take on other people's personal debts? No, these things are, you know, obviously they go to the court system. Same thing with immigration, which we're going to talk about, I'm sure. But I mean, this uh, all of this stuff, unfortunately, is being settled by the courts and not the legislature. And that's why that's because they keep putting together policies that don't work. Now, I think DeSantis I think he could. I think he's going to be a fantastic candidate, and I, I think he's going to be tough for anybody else to beat. And I say that even as I like people like Mike Pompeo as well. I mean, I think he's just a statesman, and I think we need a statesman for foreign policy. So, I'm open. Right. I'm I'm very much open. I think a lot of what the headline grabbing of politics is, is just to try to portray himself as the populist fighter, that which, to Jeannie's point, <laughs> is what people like in Donald Trump. They like someone who's going to stand up, shake up the status quo. But unfortunately, that's just good for politics. It's not good for public administration because to also to her point, you're not actually effectuating any kind of change. You're just grabbing the moment. And I think that's what Ron DeSantis is going to play for the next several months to try to build up his name brand throughout the nation to show he's stepping up, not necessarily doing anything, but at least stepping up to meet the moment to raise awareness and then move on to the next headline that he's going to grab. He's going to keep doing that because what we're seeing is he sees that there's a vacuum right now as Donald Trump's brand starts to tarnish. And I don't think so much January 6th tarnished it as much as the midterms elections, particularly when you see like the Herschel Walkers of the group and all of those that he staked his claim with their victories and then crashed and burned. You know, in politics, we know saying you're only as good as your last election. In 2022 is Donald Trump's last election where he was involved very physically in trying to promote candidates who did very poorly. And people sense there's blood in the water. I think 
They know that they don't have to stick with Donald Trump, that there is hope, and, they, and I think DeSantis is trying to fill that void in a way that kind of snuffs out any other one of those 18 challengers, including Donald Trump Jr. Uh, from running in 2024. Eric, I want to go, uh, can I just jump in ahead, here, Jim. though, real quick? I'm sorry, but I just to clarify one more thing. The truth is about, about Ron DeSantis, though, he has done real things. He, his school choice policy has been hugely popular in, in Florida, and they've expanded that, His uh, which actually he didn't init initiate under him. I think Jeb Bush even initiated it. Correct, yeah. So it's been going on for a while, but he was able to capitalize on it and make it better. He has paid down enormous amounts of debts. He has made them fiscally responsible. They run a leaner, a much leaner budget than than does New York uh, in, in Florida. So, I mean, he's he was great on the COVID policies. He's doing the right thing when it comes to challenging the vaccines. I mean, these are things that people across the country are looking at and saying, and, I, I like his policies. And he has been very effective on, outside of some of the other stuff that we, we oh, no, I don't, about. And I don't mean to say that everything he's done is paper, that is paper thin. Right. But I think right. there are some things that we know that, have, that were truly muscular lifts and things that are not. And one of the other things that I think that is a good tell on whether he's going to run or not anyway, is that I didn't know until today that he is not allowed by her Florida law to actually run for federal office while being governor. So if we see the legislature down there make a move to allow that change, then we'll know for sure whether or not he plans on jumping into this race. Jeannie, I know we have a call that is, uh, I want you to hold on because I want to come back to something that Jeannie said there. Um, the idea of challenging the vaccines, he's empowering this grand jury that is going to supposedly look into uh, claims that were made about the benefits of the vaccines. Um, is this an example of something that is a po like positive policy forward, moving things forward? Because um, this looks to me as just another one of these attempts to, well, you know, one, there is a certain segment, I think, of the ba Republican base that wants and loves this kind of stuff, um, and to win a media cycle. Uh, do you really think that this is like a serious, long-term, important policy goal? I think it has to be a long-term policy goal. I think the, one of Trump's biggest mistakes uh, in the long run is to bring an experimental vaccine forward in such a short amount of time uh, because then Biden in his administration was able to essentially become come up with a bunch of vaccine mandates and uh, and and push this. And then, I mean, if you're not aware of it, I mean, I think most people are aware of it, that there are vaccine injuries, that this is untested vaccine technology and that the vaccine didn't do what a va typical vaccine does. And also what they said it was going to do, which was prevent the spread of the disease. It didn't do that at all. Why else have a vaccine? Um, and so I, I think um, I think he's right on this issue to have it well, looked into because we need a decision here. We need to come back and be able to trust our medical and scientific fields. And we don't right now. A number of people on both sides of the aisle do not trust the medical uh, decisions that have been, were made during COVID. And we've got to get back to where we have trust in our medical system. I, I, I think one can be in favor of bringing forward this vaccine and recommending it. And certainly we saw uh, a reduced instances of death in people who had the vaccine, although certainly the claims about spread are, are of a different nature and it didn't hold, uh, prove out there. Um, but just because the Biden administration decided to go in one direction, to me, does not invalidate the previous actions of the Trump administration in developing this vaccine and bringing it forward for people who it did save a whole lot of lives. 
A lot more to be discussed on that. Tom from Youngstown, Ohio, who's on the phone. I do want you to hold on because we will get to you after the break on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce Dumont. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media... Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Back on Beyond the Beltway, Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont, and we have reached the portion of the program where we have our esteemed guests this evening introduce themselves. Uh, although she really needs no introduction to you at this point, I'm going to go first to Jeannie Ives. Well, Eric, it's great to be uh, able to sit in for Bruce Dumont with you. 
uh, taking turns as he recovers his health. And I'm just happy to be here with you tonight on, on this show. I actually am in Arizona right now at America Fest 2022, where Don Jr. Uh, took the stage. So uh, we'll see what he did. He didn't make any announcement, by the way. But uh, it's an interesting, it's interesting being down here. Uh, it's, it's just a huge event. And of course, being from Illinois, where Charlie Kirk got a start, it's it's also interesting to see how far he's come in a decade. Uh, but yes, um, I'm a former state rep. Mother of five is my favorite title. And thanks for having me on the program. And uh, Chicago Alderman, Ray Lopez. I'm Raymond Lopez, frequent guest, and hope uh, our beloved host is doing well. I represent the uh, southwest side of the city of Chicago, uh, some of the most historic neighborhoods in the city. Now, after our remap, including Canaryville, Chicago Lawn, Gage Park, Back of the Yards, Brighton Park, and West Englewood, um, I'm probably one of the few remaining voices of reason in the city council as the city of Chicago continues to veer left and left of left. I stand firmly in the middle. And though I'm not the, the proud dad of five, I'm the proud puppy father of seven. So I will take that. Seven. <laughs> That's uh, That must be a very busy household that you have, with uh, especially at dinner time, I would imagine. It keeps us all uh, busy. We've got uh, we've got some calls, so why don't we go to the phone lines? And a reminder again, if you want to join us on the program, one eight hundred seven two three eight two eight nine. That's one eight hundred seven two three eight two eight nine to join us on the program. Let's go first to Tom in Youngstown, Ohio. Tom, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you, Eric, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah and Happy uh, uh, New Year's to all of you. I know, chances are you're not going to be on next week or the following week because those would be the holiday days. Um, And and by the way, I I think Bruce has selected two people who can uh, hold the fort down very well. And Bruce, if you're listening, uh, again, I I hope you a, a Happy New Year and a speedy recovery. And if you do get back soon, uh, you might want to try to get these two people out uh, as spinoffs from your own program into their own shows. Uh, Thank you, you Tom. Know, you Appreciate that about, a lot. You, you're talking about Trump. Um, number one, I, I, I think, number one, I think the Justice Department will uh, go to try to indict him. It's easy to indict. I think a jury, if it's Washington, D.C. or Alexandria, Virginia, uh, will convict him because uh, the uh, voting poll uh, from which uh, jurors are are chosen in Washington, D.C. is 92% Democrat, and in Alexandria, Virginia, 80% at least Democrat. Uh, that's why you've seen so many convictions of Republicans, and uh, even the FBI uh, uh, lawyer that swore that the affidavits were accurate to the FISA court got off. Now, you might ask. John, let me let me ask you this: You you think that um, Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, will choose to bring charges against Donald Trump? Why do you think? You mean you mean Merrick Garland, the guy aware of had... the potential political fallout of a decision like that, not just for him but for his boss? Um, I, I I think his boss wants that type of uh, action against Trump. See, first of all, for Garland, it's I, I think he has a vendetta about not getting on the Supreme Court. I, I think a bigger question here, and, and it ties into something that came out last week. You know, they released more of the JFK assassination documents. 
but they didn't release all of them. Now, this is six, uh, going up on 60 years next year since the Kennedy assassination, an actual assassination. And I, I heard Andy, Andy Field, I think he's a CBS radio reporter, uh, he said that according to the National Archives, they've already released 70% of what they have. Now, 30% is being withheld if that's accurate. And you, ask, you have to ask yourself why. Uh, you, you know, the, the, the reason giving, well, you know, it can compromise uh, our uh, uh, sources and our uh, methods of gathering information and embarrassment to other countries and so forth. Uh, well, wait a minute. If, if Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, that doesn't cut water. It doesn't cut anything. Thank you, uh, Tom. Thanks so much for, for the call this evening. I, uh, Jeannie, I want to go to you on that. I mean, so he, he is clearly of the mind. And you can take the JFK assassination part of this, too. I am more than happy to talk about the JFK assassination. Um, that is, uh, it was, it's been fascinating to me for years. Um, Oliver Stone's JFK is a fantastic movie. It is all nonsense, but it is a, still a fantastically made movie. So feel, feel free to jump on the JFK assassination stuff if you want. Um, but I think the, the, the fun, I've always thought that the chances of federal charges being significantly impactful against Donald Trump was less of a big deal than what has been going on in Georgia, uh, especially since you've got the phone call evidence of how he was had a specific number of votes he's trying to tell Brad Raffensperger to find. Um, so is this it is there if there's any kind of legal charges brought against Donald Trump? Are they ever going to be viewed as legitimate? And is it possible in your mind for them to be legitimate? Look, I'm not into conspiracy theories, so I'm really not going to get into the JFK assassination because there's a whole I was whole hoping lot you were going to go there, Jeannie. You're letting me down. Yeah, no, no, die. I'm just not into that. Look, I'd like to look at the evidence, but let's face it. What he, he is right. We're not only seeing 70% of the JFK uh, information decades past the event. I mean, the problem here is, is that information matters. But somebody else is controlling the information that we receive. And so does anybody think that they're really going to see all the information if there are charges against Donald Trump? And I think that goes to the credibility of any of any trial that we're to be presented with. Are we ever going to really find out? And uh, if I was, as far as accountability, if you want accountability for Donald Trump, well, listen, a lot of us want accountability for everything that happened with Russia collusion. There's no accountability still uh, for the people who perpetrated the lie, who leaked information. Um, I mean, and, and by the way, just as a side note, thank God Ken Griffin is suing the IRS to hold them accountable for releasing his tax returns to, to the media. I mean, this is a, we're, that's, I mean, we're, in a, we're in a period of lawlessness and whoever's in charge seems to get the upper hand. And I don't like any of it. Yeah, Ray, I, I tend to be of the belief that there is, it's certainly possible that there are truly legitimate charges with evidence supporting them that could be brought against Donald Trump, especially like in the Georgia case. But we live in an era where people do not trust institutions and do not trust the people who are running institutions. Therefore, even things that are legitimate are always going to be viewed with a heavy sense of skepticism leaning towards a rejection of their uh, validity. I think you have to look outside of the federal government if you're hoping to try and have any sense of legitimacy right now, because I think the perception is uh, that everything is being manipulated for partisan purposes, regardless of who's in office, that the, the person in the White House is pulling the levers for their own political stakes in a way that would make Richard Nixon smile ear to ear. Um, what will happen is that 
if he did in fact interfere locally, that may impact some charges for him there. Um, but I think that the only way that you get any kind of dirt on Trump without any political connotations is to take it out of the federal government's purview and put it back at the states where we think the most damage may have been done with his interference. Let's go back to the phones and line two. Kevin is in Austin, Texas. Kevin, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, hello, and uh, Jeannie. Uh, I hope you work hard to get a uh, school boards in uh, DuPage County. Uh, make sure they don't get too many people running on the conservative side. Uh, so you just have one candidate to run. Anyhow, uh, I was calling about the, the uh, calendar for Trump as far as primaries. I don't think it works out for him as far as momentum. Iowa caucus goers, I'm not sure if they're going to want to go with him. And then what does it look like when it goes to New Hampshire? Sorry, I'm upside. And um, and then what happens after calendar after that? I mean, he's if the DeSantis runs, he had, I would think he would have the advantage in Florida. So, you know, how does that how does it play out for him? And I and I hope yep. you build uh, help rebuild a Republican Party in DuPage County. Anyhow, I'll listen for a little bit. Kevin, thank, thank you so you. much for your call, uh, Jeannie. I think it is a to be the biggest question mark that is still yet to be answered is we get this poll like we saw of you know, what a one-on-one -on -one race between Trump and DeSantis would look like. Does anybody think it's going to be a one-on-one -on -one race? I mean, there are going to be multiple candidates in this. So the question is, how many people are in there drawing vote in different directions? Um, you know, I think it was, uh, was it 18 the last time, and in, including uh, yeah. George Pataki, who I thought we had all agreed that we weren't going to recognize anymore. Um, how, how many candidates do you think are going to end up in this race at the end of the day? Well, I think it's going to be at least a dozen. I mean, you know why? It's the same reason that Kamala ran. Hey, they want that second choice, right? They're looking for that VP position. So they've got to get their name out there. They got to start with a following, maybe can draw somebody in because I don't, there's no doubt, right? That that Trump, even if, if as he's running again, he's not going to have uh, Mike Pence pick up that position again. So, so even if it were Trump as the nominee, and by the way, it is not a foregone conclusion that he wouldn't win a Republican primary again. Now, he wasn't my pick in the primary, the Republican primary. I think everybody knows that. Um, but surprisingly, he was my mother's pick. And she's like, okay, she was right about something. Well, guess what? She's still with Trump. So yeah, I don't, you can't, you cannot, you can't bet on what will come out of the Republican primary, except for the fact there will be a lot of, I think there will probably be a dozen people I in. I agree, Ray. I'm going to go to you on the other side of the break. I will just note that there is that joke that, uh, you know, Democrats run for president to get to cabinet positions. Republicans run to get uh, uh, Fox News and book deals and talk radio deals. Let's hope for the fewest candidates possible, Jeannie, because we just you and I don't need any more competition on the talk radio airwaves from any of these people. As few candidates as possible in the Republican primary is the mantra that we're going to stick by, if only for selfish reasons. Uh, because we like what we're doing here on Beyond the Beltway. Back after this.
Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why as a young person they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Eric Hohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway as we are back on Beyond the Beltway. I want to touch on one more uh, roiling the Republicans kind of issue here. Uh, Donald Trump uh, had announced earlier today that he is asking for his supporters to stand down on opposition to Kevin McCarthy being the next Speaker of the House. Uh, Jeannie and I were talking about this before the program began. Um, I'll, I'll go to you, Ray, first from you know the perspective of uh, you know somebody uh, out, outside of the interesting battles here. Um, is is it? Is, is there any point in or let me let me ask this question instead is 
this going to just be a distraction for uh, a, a Congress that is coming in, a House that is coming in, where the Republicans have a very narrow majority to have a fight over the speakership like this is the first thing that they start off with? Well, if I remember correctly, when uh, AOC and the squad came into power, they they were quick to uh, flex their muscles on Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic caucus, even though they were just five members, knowing that they could possibly cause enough of a problem for their slim majority at that time, uh, Republican members are doing the exact same thing. And we see this continual tit for tat when it comes to uh, the fringe of the party, whomever that party is, flexing on the mainstream part. What I find interesting is that Donald Trump is acting like he's the uh, kingmaker within the, within the House Republican caucus hoping to come out looking like he actually accomplished peace within the valley there. Uh, and I'm not necessarily certain that his presence is going to make or break whether or not McCarthy can move forward. I think uh, he's trying to ride the wave to, to come off away from the disaster that were the midterms. But in the end, he's not going to be able to push a legislative agenda on the outside uh, that any of the members are going to listen to until he's actually president again. Yeah, Jeannie, I like where uh, I like where Ray went here. So uh, would yes. we consider then at least the the five holdouts that we currently know that uh, or believe that still exist? Uh, Representatives uh, Andy Biggs, Matt Gates, Ralph Norman, Matt Rosendale and Bob Good. Is this the emergence of the Republican squad? No, not at all. Oh, my gosh. Um, th that is definitely true. First of all, those folks. The Republicans that have been around, they, they they are in and of their own right, already have name recognition, know who they are. Matt Gates certainly does. In fact, he was just here, uh, spoke with him briefly. Um, Andy Biggs as well. You know, he's been a member of the House Freedom Caucus since the, from the get go. But I think what's more interesting is the fact that you don't have you don't have a Jim Jordan on that list. He, he was definitely one to challenge Boehner's leadership. The House Freedom Caucus arose from, during the Boehner years because Jim Jordan knew that leadership mattered uh, in terms of messaging. But he's, he's totally behind McCarthy. So are people like Mary Miller. Trump comes out to do a huge rally for her to beat uh, when she's in that hot Republican primary against Rodney Davis here in Illinois for folks who are listening across the nation. I mean, Mary's not on that list. She's, she's, with, she's going to be with McCarthy. So... Um, uh, you know, there. I, I don't know. I, and the, at the end of the day, these these leadership fights are important because leadership within a caucus matters. Trust me, I know. I've I've been there. I, I can see the power that they have. They have the power of the message, committee committees setting the agenda, what bills get passed, how the caucus reacts to certain things. It's a really big important role. Staffing. They have a really big role in the staffing and hiring the right staff. So it's important to have those fights. It's just that you have them outside of the formal vote. And that formal vote then needs to be united front. And it is interesting. The Democrats very quickly got behind Hakeem Jeffries in re to replace uh, Nancy Pelosi as their leader for their caucus. And there was no fuss about it. So Republicans just got to do a better job, I think. Um, when, you know, have your fight first. But then when it comes time for that official vote, we have got to be united. I'll ask this question to both of you. Uh, I'll start with Eugenie. What kind of speaker of the House and what kind of leader do you think Kevin McCarthy will be? Well, um, that is that's a really good question. I think that uh, what you've seen in, in Kevin McCarthy is you have seen him move from more of a center moderate uh, representative to really he is now of a center right for sure. 
And um, he's, and I think that that bodes well for us. I think that he will be a backstop to a lot of the nonsense. He has to be because he spoke so strongly of being a backstop to, to the, the Democrat nonsense in the past. He can't wave off of that without losing some memberships um, support. So, um, and I think that, I think that that's why, that's why you are having this fight is because the only thing the provision they want is they want the provision to replace the leader if they need to. And I think that, you know, they, they worry that McCarthy will be, will go play footsie on spending legislation perhaps when they don't want him to. So they want that threat there that if you don't play by the rules that you, you the, the way that you acted, we want to be able to replace you. That's what the big fight is about. And so that I think that they're worried about him. So maybe we should, because they may know him better, but I mean, I think that, uh, you know, uh, hopefully he has enough membership and enough people like Jim Jordan that are going to hold him accountable and say, hey, look, I made sure that you were the leader. So let's 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 get something done for the American people. Ray, you got about a minute. What are your thoughts on one Kevin McCarthy? I think uh, Speaker McCarthy will be a softer, kinder version of Newt Gingrich, to be perfectly honest. I think he doesn't have the luxury or the majority in terms of numbers pursue any kind of off off the beaten path uh, messaging or policy as Jeannie described it because he has such a narrow hold not only on his majority but on his caucus and he can't go outside that scope uh, but I think he's gonna have to press hard to show the conservative the more conservative elements of the Republican Party that he means business that he intends to pursue uh, you know, Hunter Biden and all the rest of the things that everyone mm -hmm. has been talking about. They're going to want to see investigations. They're going to want to see subpoenas flying off the off the days. Uh, but they're going to want to see action. And they're not going to want to see things that are bipartisan. They're not going to want to see things that move government forward. I think that he's going to have to fight the urge to allow the Republican Party to shut down the government, but come as close as possible just to maintain the uh, the friction. And he's got uh, very, very limited room for error with a very small window there to uh, to be able to do anything. Lots more coming up in the second hour of Beyond the Beltway. A lot of policy talk that we will get to. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen. By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Matthew. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on hour number two of Beyond the Beltway this evening. Eric Cohn filling in tonight for Bruce Dumont and thrilled to be joined by uh, conservative and my fellow interim co-host of Beyond the Beltway, Jeannie Ives, and Chicago Alderman Ray Lopez. Where I want to start in hour number two, and I want to get to more uh, policy, legislative-related things, uh, some of the big issues that uh, we, we've teased that we'll talk about immigration, we certainly will get to that as well. But I, uh, we, we have so few examples of something that happens bipartisanly that I wanted to point this uh, this one out, that the House and the Senate have passed the uh, legislation that was originally sponsored by uh, Kristen Sinema, the now independent senator from Arizona, where uh, Jeannie is currently visiting. Maybe we can get a Kristen, uh, Kristen Sinema temperature check from Arizona from Jeannie a little bit later, too. Uh, but the Respect for Marriage Act, which uh, codified protections for uh, same-sex marriage, what is interesting to point out that 47 House Republicans uh, had supported the original version of it, 39 voted for the uh, version that ended up being final, as well as 12 Republican senators voting for uh, that legislation. The, the question that I have is um, it, this this fascinates me because take, for example, the Heritage Foundation, the Heritage Foundation back during um I'm trying to remember what it was. It was the national uh, some major sporting event? I cannot remember what it was. Uh, decided that they were going to run advertising opposing the uh, Respect for Marriage Act. 
Um, this is a essentially a 70-30 issue now. About 70% of people are in favor of protection for same-sex marriage. So we did see a bipartisan vote here, but 169, all 169 in the House that opposed it were Republicans, all 36 in the Senate that opposed it were, were Republicans. Um, so, Jeannie, I'm curious for your take on this. Is um, it, How wise was the opposition to this, one, considering it was going to pass? Um, and is this a, a case where you're seeing there are a few Republicans that are in favor of a uh, the 70% side of a 70-30 issue? But there's a lot of people taking the 30% side, and that's not normally the side that you want to end up on. Is the politics of this smart? Well, you know, I, I, we had this discussion just before we started the show, Eric, and you're right. There's so many congressional districts now that are so gerrymandered that you only maybe have a handful of districts that are really a toss up and could go either way. So people are voting their camp and their base because they've been gerrymandered mm -hmm. into that sort of result. So for many people, this would have been a terrible decision to actually vote for it because they are sure to draw a primary. The other problem with a lot of things that are titled, like the, the infamous um, Safety Act title, the Safety Act in Illinois, which is really the pro-criminal um, um, anti-victim act in Illinois when it comes to crime, it, or like the Inflation Reduction Act uh, that Biden wants to tout. I mean, really, the Respect for Marriage Act? Uh, no, this could this should be just as well named the Anti-Religious uh, or the Religious Persecution Act because of the, the way that this may fall to a lot of other people being sued over their religious convictions because they don't maybe adhere to the guy the, to the ideas of same-sex marriage. And, and so I think that, that that's a problem in and of itself. You have a lot of the populace where you say it's 70-30. Do they know the details of the legislation? And I would argue that they do not. And I would also argue that you know we already have the Obergefell decision which is basically the law of the land now, why we're still talking about this is simply to gin up their base, in my opinion. Well, why, I, I would say I would add why we're talking about it is for similar reasons to what we were talking about uh, in the break between the hours, which is the Dobbs decision, which upended the political status quo surrounding abortion. Okay, well, I think the theory that they're operating on, if we take them at their word, and I, I think to an extent we can, is that, well, if, if abortion can be overturned, then Obergefell can be overturned, then just about anything could be overturned. There's a 6-3 conservative majority on the Supreme Court. Why not protect against that by enacting legislation like this essentially as a backup? I think Okay, that... but then why didn't they do a... Why didn't they do a Dobbs uh, bill instead of a Respect for Marriage Act? I think if we get caught up in the name, the fact of the matter is that what we're seeing is the codification of, the, of, a, of, a, of a court decision to ensure that people like myself, who is married to a man, does not have to wake up one day and find that my marriage has been annulled because of a new, more conservative Supreme Court changing their mind on an issue. And I think that I, for one, am very glad that this is codified. We're seeing that opinions and mindsets are changing. But yes, gerrymandering is a hindrance to why you see so many individuals who are voting against what is becoming more and more mainstream. 
And I think that applies and will apply not just to the Republican Party, but you're going to see that apply to the Democratic Party as well in districts that have been gerrymandered when it comes time under the new leadership in the House to address matters of fiscal conservatism that need to be brought in to rein in the spending and out-of-control debt at the federal level. They are going to have to start making hard choices there as well because they are going to come to see that the writing is on the wall nationally to address these issues but they're going to have to vote against it because of the way that their districts have been drawn have been drawn in their respective home states and i think I, at some point this would have been a great thing for the january 6th committee to address as well gerrymandering at the federal level because oftentimes there's so much more that brings us together but because of gerrymandering and trying to always appease your base at, at the expense of the general election, you will never get to that continuous bipartisan standpoint at the federal, in the federal government. I want to probe this really, uh, really quickly here. Is there a consensus at all anymore to deal with the United States' fiscal problems? I mean, one of the things that, uh, as I mentioned, we don't get a lot of bipartisan legislation. When we do see bipartisan legislation, overwhelmingly it is in favor of spending a lot more money, specifically geared towards certain benefits. And we have this I have this argument on a podcast that I host with an economics professor that um, the, the problem is, is that the public wants two things that are incoherent, right? They want uh, specific benefits that come from government spending, but they also want low taxes. And his argument was whether whether it, it's a spending problem, it's a revenue problem, or it's a spending problem. And my, to me, the honest answer is it's both, because if you're going to want the benefit levels that people seem to want, you're going to have to have taxes like Europe has commensurate with it. Is there any serious left to deal, seriousness with which to deal with uh, economic problems anymore like this? Eric, I think it's a leadership problem. And I think it's a leadership yeah. problem of those who are elected and their inability to explain to their constituents just how government is funded. You know, nobody ever wants to say that I can give you more, but you have to pay for it. They just say, I could give you more and I'll deal with it later. And I think when you look at the federal government, a lot of the issues, it's not just whether or not federal legislators want to take on the debt or the finances of the federal government. They don't even want to read bills anymore. And they haven't wanted to read bills ever since leadership was consolidated over a decade ago. Most of these members just follow the leader leadership. Nobody ever reads any of the budget bills that are just one giant omnibus bill as opposed to 13 different bills for the various departments. You know, they don't do their jobs like they used to, so they have no idea what they're, what they're asking taxpayers for, what they're spending money on, and their assumption is just add more to it and, and just keep going with inflation as opposed to seriously looking and taking a deep dive into what they are asking for and what they really need. Yeah. It is uh, it is a serious issue that will need to be dealt with sooner rather than later. And we'll see if uh, anybody can muster the political seriousness to actually deal with it. We've been teasing immigration. We're going to get to immigration when we come back after the break. Eric Cohn filling in this week on Beyond the Beltway for Bruce Dumont. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, you can do it if you try. We are back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Jeannie, you wanted to add something to the conversation we were having about spending. Uh, we ran out of time in the last segment, so go ahead. Sure, just really quickly. I mean, I think part of the problem that we just keep spending more money and indebting our, our grandchildren and the future generations is because there's been no consequences of it. Now, finally, we're trying to connect the dots that all this spending has led to inflation uh, just in the last year. But people still don't get it. They don't understand that. And until somebody's pension goes belly up because we never funded pensions and we and actually we we had two generous benefits, or until a, a, a city literally starts to really cut off services. And you are seeing that to some degree. You see a lot less police officers out there doing doing their work because you know the budget's not there, plus they want to leave. But, I mean, there's no consequences that people physically see. We just keep spending money. And there's no Depression-era uh, sort of inconvenience or actually um, stretching uh, people to their limits. And they and so that's part of the problem here is the consequences for the overspending have not hit home. And they may not hit home for another generation or two. 
so I, I'm, I'm always inclined to point this out when we start talking about inflation. Um, if anybody has not been reading the work of uh, David Bonson, which you can find in National Review, I heavily encourage you to. I've interviewed David okay. a couple of times, and he always makes this point about the inflation that we're currently experiencing, that from a political perspective, it makes sense for Republicans to make the case that they're making that we spent all of this money and now we're seeing inflation. David's counter argument to that is, you know, in Milton Friedman's definition of inflation, it is too much money. Okay, chasing too few goods and services. Well, what did we do starting in early 2020? We shut the economy down. We shut down um, distribution routes. We shut down supply chains. So we have a supply side problem that, in his opinion, is fueling uh, a lot more of the cause of fueling inflation than the spending side, because we've been ramping up spending for 20 years and hadn't experienced inflation like this. It's only when you get the huge decline on the supply side that you start to experience all of this. So I think there's some political diciness in there as well. But Jeannie, I want to turn it back to you. On the spending question, you're in touch with the populist side of the political right. There, what I hear from them is not any kind of a clarion call uh, along traditional conservative lines to say that we need to get spending under control. Government spending is the problem. Um, it is saying that we're fine with government spending. We've just been spending it on the wrong things and the wrong people. So if the right is not going to be the voice for uh, fiscal conservatism, who is? Yeah, right. Nobody. No, you're absolutely right. At least at least where I am from, there's there's plenty of big spenders uh, and there's been plenty of big taxers in the Republican Party, which is insane. I mean, second highest property taxes, second highest um, uh, um, taxes overall, tax burden, second highest gas taxes. And still we have Republicans voting for more, whether they're a local school board and they say they're Republican, they're still voting to tax to the max. Uh, for their schools. So it's never enough, it seems like, on both sides. But there's plenty of us who who uh, who don't agree with that, who understand the long term, this is not good for our, our kids. It, it really isn't. And uh, yeah, but I, I, I would say we do have a bipartisan problem. If anybody is familiar with uh, the problem of massive spending up close, it is certainly you, Ray, because you're a member of the Chicago City Council. Uh, so why don't you know? Tell us, add your perspective as somebody who has been up close and personal with problems like this. You know, how how hard is it to get something, even if you can recognize that out of control spending is a problem? How hard is it to get under control? You know, when I was first elected in 2015, the very first thing I had to do was vote on a $554 million property tax increase because my predecessors for nearly 20 years failed to have revenues increase, even though their spendings, their spending outlays were increasing hand over fist, year over year, decade after decade. And even with that massive half billion dollar property tax that has not been enough, and it actually encouraged Lori Lightfoot to put forward a, a 48 year uh, inflationary based tax increase on the city of Chicago two years ago. The one thing that we've never heard is anyone discuss what do we need to do to ensure government is operating efficiently with what we have. Is the bloat necessary or can we trim the fat and still provide yeah. service? No one ever wants to have that conversation because then that means you got to bring in your partners, you got to bring in labor, you got to bring in the bureaucracy, and you have to figure out whether or not you really need 17, you know, deputy managers, whether you need 27 laborers on the books. And I'm fine with that if you're delivering something, but if you're not delivering anything, then you don't need it. 
And I think or whether or not Lori Lightfoot needs a 31 person security detail. 72 person, by the way. Oh, 72. Um, I'm off by a factor of two. But, you know, you, you brought up the uh, police department and we are now evolving into a scenario where because of our pension payments, because of our health care payments, even in a $12 billion operation that excludes federal government money for the moment, nearly $4 billion of that goes towards pensions and health care. We're becoming a retirement health care provider more than a city service provider. And we have to figure out what we're doing, not just in Chicago, but in many of the big cities throughout this country, at the state level as well, what we're doing to ensure that taxes are being taken to deliver services as well as address employee issues and not the other way around. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of, I, I cannot remember who it was. I believe it was a former CEO of Ford who thought he uh, was taking over a car company and uh, only then discovered that he was taking over the management of a uh, of a pension system um, and a retirement system instead of actually managing a car company. Uh, John of McHenry County, I, I'm not going to go to you yet. I want you to hang on. I am going to get to your call. But since we've been talking about uh, Chicago, Chicago City Council, um, Jeannie, I want to go to you first because we talked uh, earlier off air about um, this, you know, the, the crime problem in Chicago and this dis particularly disturbing incident of this woman who was kind of robbed in, in the middle of the day. What, what, go ahead and describe what that incident was. And then, Ray, I want to go to you for um, the inner workings of, you know, a, a legislative body in a major city like Chicago. A lot of major cities are dealing with crime, how they're dealing with it. So, Jeannie, to you first for this this latest incident that I know you've been following closely. Well, sure. It's hard not to follow it because it made national news again. It was played repeatedly on all sorts of newscasts because the woman is an elder. She's about 70 years old. She just steps outside of her very nice uh, uh, condo place it's to just take her dog for a brief walk. And she is confronted by a gunman who runs up to her with his, his gun in her face and then threatens to either shoot her or the dog if she doesn't hand over her purse. So she immediately hands over her purse and then he flees off. I mean, she even came on the Laura Ingram show uh, just last week to discuss the incident. And by the way, she lives in a neighborhood where I wouldn't suspect that she's necessarily a conservative. She's probably sort of liberal, but it's like a lot of things that are going on. Until it happens to you, it's not real, whether it's inflation or your kids locked out from COVID or anything else. Until you know, and finally people wake up and like, whoa, what happened here? And it's it's shameful because uh, it, it's just one of many incidences, not just in Chicago but across the nation, on crime that is literally out of control. Yeah, Jeannie, you're reminding me of the famous uh, Irving Crystal definition of uh, neoconservatism, which is a liberal who's been mugged by reality. What people may not realize is that he was making a joke on top of another joke, which was a conservative is a liberal who's been mugged. Uh, for anybody who lived in New York in the 1970s, uh, very much a, a potential reality of that. But but Ray, this is where I want to go to you. Um, you're a member of the city council. Uh, what do you see and hear from your colleagues? I mean, we see these incidents, these stories. Uh, anybody who followed the Illinois governor's race, um, uh, WIND's uh, Dan Proft, who's also involved in those elections, some of the most effective ads I think I've ever seen run are just these surveillance videos of these crime incidents happening. Um, they were jarring. They were arresting. Is there any sense that there's a seriousness which with uh, the city council is potentially going to start dealing with this problem? The city council, unfortunately, Eric, has no intention, underline none, in dealing with this matter. 
dealing with public safety in the city of Chicago. I and numerous of my colleagues have tried repeatedly to introduce ordinances to bring back a sense of common sense to this discussion because oftentimes we see that it is the most basic of things, putting bad guys in jail, that make the most sense in addressing the crime that we see running rampant. The individuals who I believe were responsible for that broad daylight robbery were four teenagers who committed, I think, 50 crimes in like three days. And we see this time and time again where we have young individuals whose parents aren't paying attention, or we have repeat offenders who are out on bail doing what they know how to do best, which is be criminals. And it's again, it's not something that's unique to Chicago because we see it on New York subways, right. we see it on, in Philadelphia. But I think what's most jarring for the city of Chicago is that, you know, that joke that you made about a conservative is just a liberal that's been mugged. You know, the neighborhood where this happened is one of the most liberal neighborhoods in the city. And you have them now hiring their own security to keep them safe and keep outsiders out. And you're seeing more and more individuals trying to figure out how to keep themselves safe. You see more and more concealed carry owners running around strapped in the city of Chicago to protect themselves from carjackers. And you see efforts by our mayor to diffuse the situation by restricting access to the digitized scanners, the encrypted scanners, to put media blocks on crime yeah. as it's happening in real life, yeah. to restrict rather than open up what's going on to keep people safe. And that I think will ultimately uh, force people to take the law into their own hands to keep their own families safe. Not that I can blame them. When yes. you see this yes. time and time again, you can hear the gunshots, you can see the people robbing, and yet your leaders are telling you, don't worry, crime is down. Well, I it, trust it, what my lying eyes are saying to me. Exactly. And and you, uh, again, I'm reminded from uh, a clip from one of the other great neoconservatives, Nat Glazer, that sometime in the 70s, cities stopped doing what they knew how to do like fighting, uh, fighting crime and taking out the garbage to try to do things no one knows how to do, like solving poverty. Certainly big problems that cities are dealing with. We will finally get to immigration after the break when we come back. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid, My kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. 
Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Back again on Beyond the Beltway. I want to go back to the phones again. A reminder, if you want to join us on Beyond the Beltway this evening, 1-800-723-8289. That is 1-800-723-8289 to join us on the program. I want to go to John in McHenry County, Illinois. John, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, Good evening, Eric, and also Alderman Lopez and Ms. Ives. I want to segue us into discussing immigration. Very big news out of Texas last night when uh, City of El Paso Mayor Oscar Leeser declared a state of emergency uh, and is asking for crucial help. And this goes back to what we saw earlier in the year. And I, I think I shared this on a call with you, Eric, how the City of El Paso was unilaterally sending migrants from the border to into other cities, particularly Chicago and New York City. And this was separate from Governor Abbott's uh, Operation Lone Star busing. So maybe the question straight to uh, for Alderman Lopez is, what proactive steps is the city of Chicago doing to prepare for these influx of bust migrants, uh, presumably straight from El Paso like it was from August to mid-October? And maybe for Ms. Ives, what policy, and not just sound bites, but what policies should anybody pursue in order to to stop this huge influx of migrants streaming across our borders and the border cities that cannot uh, you know cannot they're over capacity and they are becoming overrun again just last week according to El Paso nearly 9000 detained migrants from CBP were released to to the, the city of El Paso and basically onto the streets so Curious to listen to both, and I'll, I'll hang on and just listen to y'all if you have questions. 
John, uh, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Ray, uh, first to you, what steps, so this is something that has been going on for a while. What has the city been doing previously to deal with these bust-in migrants? What is the city preparing to do for uh, increased busloads of migrants coming into Chicago? Hey, John, thank you for the question. I will tell you, unfortunately, the city of Chicago has been doing pretty much nothing in terms of preparing for the migrants coming to Chicago. And I think we're up to 3,800 Venezuelan migrants uh, from the border states over the last few months. You know, in other situations, we've seen where the mayors of, uh, of the city in the past have brought the city together to address Puerto Rican refugees, Afghanistan refugees, and to come up with what we can do in terms of housing, in terms of human resources, and all of those things that are necessary. Uh, this administration has not. Uh, many of these migrants uh, and refugee seekers have been put in old schools that were closed, in basements of libraries, in gymnasiums, and even into our uh, first responders training academy, which is yet to be opened, and they were put housed there. Um, sanitation has not been the best. Some of their uh, bathrooms and showers have been in trailers outside of the actual buildings themselves because the plumbing didn't work. And we continue to struggle to figure out what to do in a sustainable way. Unfortunately, neither the mayor nor my colleagues in city council, even though we have a committee set up specifically to deal with immigration and refugee rights, have yet to meet to discuss this matter. And it's not only a failure of policy on our end, on the receiving end, because clearly this is a federal issue that they need to get their act together on. But as the city of Chicago, we have failed these people as they come here and it will only get worse because i don't see this ending anytime soon gee the question to you was uh mm -hmm. beyond the kind of sound bites that we get on issues like immigration or specifically on the issue of immigration yeah, right what is you know we talked about policy and the importance of policy developing actual solutions or at least measures to address these kinds of issues what in your opinion should that look like and i guess i'll ask a second question in parallel to that what could it feasibly actually look like, right? I mean, I, in my mind, I have my own design on what I think would be ideal policy to deal with the border and immigration. Um, but of course, it has to get through Congress, a narrowly divided Congress and a mm -hmm. bitterly partisan Congress. So what should we do? And what do you think it is actually possible to do? Uh, well, I mean, boy, if I had all the answers, right, uh, things and I had all the power. Maybe we could solve things. But listen, I, I don't even have to come up with my own solution here because Democrat Congressman Gonzalez, who is on a border, a, a Texas congressman, he came up with an idea. And his whole thing is, is that if you're going to seek asylum and you are somebody who's coming from south of Mexico, then they need to set up a, 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 a strand of property on that border where asylum seekers are housed and they remain there until their asylum asylum claim is actually adjudicated. And this is just like Donald Trump's remain in Mexico policy. Oh my gosh, you've got a Democrat congressman from Texas agreeing with Donald Trump's remain in Mexico policy, except that he's saying this needs to go south of the border to Guatemala and set up shop there. So if you're from Venezuela and you're coming through, you're stopping in Guatemala before you, you come in because that would definitely help. But right now you've literally got hordes of people, tens of thousands of people waiting on the border. And they have been told by border agents, wait until Wednesday. Why? Because 
uh, the uh, rule 42 goes away, which means yep. that they can no longer absolutely reject anybody because of COVID pandemic um, issues. And in fact, everybody can come through and they are coming through just thousands at a time. This is absolutely changing the demographics of our nation, uh, especially if you, they're expecting maybe 6 million to come across when rule 42 goes away. This is, uh, I, it's a, it's a disaster. And the problem is again, people who are very comfortable in this country don't actually see the consequences of their own bad decisions coming forward. And until these folks are, you know, your, your taxes are going to go up to provide for this. Your schools will get worse. Uh, a lot of these folks are illiterate. I mean, not that they can't learn. They certainly can learn, but they're not coming in with any skill sets that we can we can say, hey, you know what? We need we need you to be a skilled worker. Happy to take you in, whatever. That's not what's happening. There's a long tail of taxpayer support behind every one of these immigrants. And we've got to make a decision. Are we are we in for that? Are we in for six million more this year? I don't know how you I don't know how you do that. Just, and not just that, Eric, but let's keep in mind too that we still have undocumented individuals already here in this country, yep. which we have not addressed yet. No offense to everyone coming from Venezuela and South America, but we still have millions of individuals. We have the DACA children who we haven't addressed yet. We have a lot of people who have already been on in this country because of the decades of poor policy out of the federal government for years up until this point. And we're now opening the floodgates yet again while we're still drowning from the first part. We need to figure out what we're doing with the DACA kids. We need to figure out how to deal with the issue that we already have with the individuals in this country who are undocumented, whether it's uh, amnesty, whether it's a pathway, whether it's whatever, mm -hmm. before you get to the next 6 million people who are waiting at the doorsteps. Because what we're seeing now too is don't forget, we've brought people to this country to offer them asylum and taken no action on them. Think back to the Afghanistan refugees who came here when we left because of Joe Biden, hey, cling, literally clinging onto those airplanes to come to the United States, who we said, don't worry, once we get you here, we'll, we'll take care of you. And now they're on the verge of being deported because we've never solidified their immigration status in this country. So we have a, a, a lot of failures up until this point, notwithstanding the ones that are still, those individuals who are still trying to get here. And I think, yeah, whether it's a can I, can I say something here quick? We have Why, I, but, quick. I want to jump in real quick yeah. to say that I'm Jeannie. I'm glad you brought up the Title 42 thing because I think that illustrates the rub here, right? So, um, I, I, on one hand, I think you know, it, reasonable people can agree that the impact of Title 42 enforcement um, was helping the situation on the southern border. The problem, though, is Title 42. Well, where does it come from? The 1944 Public Health Services Act that allows the U.S. government to restrict immigration during public health emergencies. Well, the reality of the situation is we do not currently have a public health emergency. I'm sorry. That is just for people who are still living under the idea that we have a public health emergency. Even Joe Biden has agreed to the fact to the reality. But no, no, we do not. So on one hand, it is going to create more problems at the border. But it also should go away because we're not experiencing a public health emergency anymore. So once again, we come back to what Jeannie Wright, Congress needs to right. act. They actually need to act and do something. And there just does okay. not seem to be the will out there to do it.
No, actually, they don't need to act. They need to enforce the rules that we already have. We already have very strict rules over who is can seek asylum and actually receive asylum. We have very strict rules about refugee status. We have very strict rules right now and quotas that we set on how many we are going to let in of every single category from every single country to come here and immigrate. We already have the rules. We don't enforce the rules. We're not enforcing them at the border. We're not turning people away. We're not doing any of that. We're just assuming that they have asylum. That is not the case. You seek asylum in the first country you come to. That's all really an international rule. And it, honestly, to get asylum and get, get refugee status is, in general, a two-year process. Now, World Relief uh, is actually headquartered right in my area. And if you talk to them, they run legitimate... Uh, refugee services that are, you know, they're part of the whole NGO support system for the federal government's um, processing of refugees. Okay, you talk to any of them, they will tell you it's a two-year process vetting, and you don't get in. Mm -hmm. You actually stay in a camp somewhere else, and you don't get to determine what country you go to. That is just, that's up for grabs. You can't just say, I want to go to the U.S. No, you may end up in Germany if, if you're like, let's say, a Syrian refugee in a refugee camp. Can. So the idea that that we have to think out uh, of anything new, not true. We already yeah. have our rules. Well, we don't enforce our rules. We're uh, we're coming up on a break here. Kathy from Austin, Texas, I want you to hold on. We are going to take your call on the other side of the break because we want to stay on this immigration yeah. issue because there is so much more to explore there, that even more than we have already addressed. Amazingly enough, in one segment of radio, we have not solved the immigration problem. Let's give it a second segment, see if we can figure it all out. We'll be back after this on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. <laughs> the dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. 
Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm gonna take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Matthew. Huh? It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. We are back for the final segment of the day on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you, everybody, for listening this evening. I want to go right back to the phones. I want to go to Kathy in Austin, Texas. Kathy, you're on Beyond the Beltway. Hello there. Um, immigration. Oh, what a topic here in Texas. Um, I just want to say that everyone keeps focusing on Venezuelans, people from south of the border, Central America, we have got people coming across the southern border from 150 different countries mm -hmm. around the world. That's because they can't come in any other way. So they get in across the southern border. Um, and also, mm -hmm. I completely agree with Jeannie. They, just, they need to follow the law that is already in place before Congress decides on how to change the law. They have never followed the law for the last two years. And now we're at this point where we've got thousands of people lining up, waiting until next Wednesday. And, and also, we've got, uh, we've got immigrants who are sleeping in streets all over the southern part of this state. It's not mm -hmm. just El Paso. Houston has some horrendous stories about immigrants that have gone into that city. San Antonio, um, I don't see it here in Austin so much, but, but it, I wouldn't doubt it if it was here too. We have got a bigger issue than just changing the law that has never been followed. Kathy, uh, thanks so much for your call. Jeannie, go to you on, uh, on that. Well, she's right. I mean, it's not just people that are coming in from all sorts of countries. It's 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 the way that they're coming in. They're using cartels. This is complete lawlessness. We have allowed we have allowed illegal operations, drug cartels, gangs to take advantage of people to make money off of our our, our, our inability to control our own border. They're making money off these people. They're endangering children every single day. They're allowing criminals to come over, fentanyl to come over. I mean, 
tens of thousands of pounds, enough to like, you know, kill every American a couple different times, comes over the border annually. And we, we decry the idea that we had over 100,000 people die of fentanyl overdoses last year. And then we do nothing about our southern border, which is where it's all coming from by the Chinese, by the way. I mean, so I don't understand why we're letting criminal gang activity, criminal cartels determine our immigration policy, which is exactly what's happening. And, and that's that's really shameful because not only will these people come over and they're acting as almost indentured servants to the cartels because they're still having to remit payments back to their home country because otherwise the cartels there will say, well, you have somebody in, in America, why they need to pay up. And so we have this huge transfer of payments over. They continue to be indentured servants. I don't know why we're not looking at this from a better, from a bigger, um, a bigger perspective of we're letting criminals decide what we're doing with immigration. Well, but I think too, what we see, if I may, is that not just when it comes to immigration, but with a lot of our crime policies in general, we allow the criminals to dictate what's going on. We let our compassion for those who are most vulnerable overtake our common sense and seeing that we're being manipulated by those seeking to do the most harm, whether it's in our cities or whether it's to our country. Yes, we should have a, a country that welcomes immigration and has laws that makes it happen, but we're turning a blind eye to everything that you've just outlined because we don't want to be called out for being racist or xenophobic for saying, no, we don't need certain people here who are coming here with the intent, not of making this country better, but of trying to destroy it and subvert it. So rather than put an end to the illegal immigration and declare it as human trafficking, we're, we're stepping back and saying, no, we're just going to keep it coming in because we don't want to make the hard decisions. And the same applies to what we see in our big cities like Chicago and up New York and Portland and others where they don't they take like bail reform, for example. The parallels are there where you are trying to do right for a small minority, but you're also allowing the criminal establishment, the committed criminal establishment to play on your fears and sneak through the same loopholes that you're trying to create to help a small minority and few people. Quickly, I'll ask both of you a question that I asked to the guests that we I had on the program last week. Is the overwhelming problem on immigration that both political parties value having the issue of immigration more than actually doing something to address immigration? I'll say yes, hands down. Um, in particular, you know, in my state, in, our, in my city, we've had some good champions for addressing immigration for decades. Louis Gutierrez being one of them. And for 18 years, he did nothing to address the issue. But he ran on it for 18 years, nine cycles. Uh, and we see many members of both parties who run on it constantly. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to keep it going. And they do nothing because it helps propel their and their careers. Beanie? Boy, that's really a cynical position to take. I I would hope not. It's way too important to be to be just you know allowed to fester for a campaign issue that you want to use cycle after cycle. That's just that that is so. Ugh. I don't even like the thought that that's the case. I think the problem is is that you have people who really feel differently about how to solve it in the end, and most of us are like. We're not going to do anything on DACA. We're not going to do anything with uh, asylum. You get none of that until you've closed the border. And I think that is probably more the conundrum than anything why we can't get to a solution because every side's playing off each other 
for their one bit of it to come to a comprehensive immigration solution when it's mm. right in front of us. Let's first just enforce the laws we currently have. And let's not let drug cartels, human traffickers dictate our immigration policy. Why don't we just start with that? I'd like to see that as a start. But after that, it's remain in Mexico. It's that it's 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 a, it's a asylum spot in, in well, Guatemala or we're running out of Genie, we're out. We're out of time. It's good to end on the hopeful note there. Thank you so much, Jeannie Ives and Ray Lopez, for joining Eric Hone, filling in tonight. Good night from Beyond the Beltway. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Today, millions of people all across America are building a life in recovery from addiction and mental illness, helping themselves and helping each other with friends, family and community lending their strength and support. Join the voices for recovery. Together, we are stronger. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders, for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. 
Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.